Walt Disney. It's one of the most iconic and famous names in American history. Uh, the name Disney has become synonymous with big dreams, a big imagination, and honestly, big success. The interesting thing is, when I watched a documentary about Walt Disney just a few weeks ago, it was interesting to see that Walt Disney did not always experience success. In fact, the beginnings of what we know today as Disney were filled with a lot of setbacks and difficulties. Did you know that Walt Disney's first cartoon company was named Laugh-O-Gram Studios? The reason why none of you, or at least most of you, don't know that is because it went bankrupt just a few years into Walt Disney establishing it. It was at that point that Walt and his brother Roy eventually moved out to California in hopes of experiencing greater success. The very first cartoon character that Walt Disney sort of had a little bit of fame over was the character that you've never heard of, probably, called Oswald the lucky rabbit. And it did experience some success. And when it was time for Walt Disney to sort of re-up with the cartoon company that he was working for, he found out the, the hard environment of business as it was the company that owned the rights to Waz Oswald, the rabbit, hired all of his animators out from under him and left Walt Disney to fend for himself, kind of cut out. Even what, at least in part, we think of most about Walt Disney when it comes to like his amusement parks in California and in Florida. The very first one, Disneyland in California in 1955 when it opened, it was a slight disaster on the first day. A mile, uh, I'm sorry, a line of cars about seven miles long. The bathrooms weren't completed. Um, the water fountains didn't work and most of the rides were malfunctioning. In fact, a California newspaper at the time labeled that day for Walt Disney as being Black Sunday. And yet, through it all, Walt Disney never gave up. He continued to work hard through adversity. He persevered. Here's why. He had a passion in his heart for something that inspired him every single day. He had a vision for something he wanted to see accomplished and done that made it impossible for him to do anything else than to go after it. Here's a quote from Walt Disney himself about his movies, but I really think it embodied everything about what he went after. He wrote, Everybody in the world was once a child. So in planning a new picture or a new movie, we don't think of grown-ups and we don't think of children, but just of that fine, clean, unspoiled spot down deep in every one of us that maybe the world has made us forget and that maybe our pictures can help recall. If I were to summarize what drove Walt Disney, it was that regardless of your age, he wanted people to experience the joy and wonder of being a child. And it really drove him, even in spite of whatever it was he faced. You know, that's how it is with all of us, 
um, that usually the things people see on the outside are usually reflective of what people are passionate about on the inside. And this can be true, whether it be big things like Walt Disney (laughs) or video games like Fortnite and everything in between. Here's our first fill-in for today, and this is true of all of us. Activity on the outside. What we do, what we spend our time on, what we think about. Activity on the outside is often driven by a passion deep inside of us on the inside. For Walt Disney, it was a world where anybody could experience the joy of being a kid. The series is called All the Feels. And what we're doing is we're looking at the last week of Jesus' life and certain events that he went through and experienced that created certain emotions or certain feelings in in Jesus. And to be truly honest— That last week of Jesus' life was the worst week that anyone has ever lived. Just Friday itself would qualify as Jesus not only suffered crucifixion, but also endured hell itself. And yet, and yet he continued to walk forward to the cross and beyond. And do you know why that was? (laughs) Because of that. You see, the activity that you see on the outside, on Good Friday, that entire weekend, truly his entire life, was driven by a passion, an emotion, a feeling that he had on the inside. And this morning is a little bit different than the other sermons in this series. I'm not going to tell you the emotion or feeling we're looking at today at the beginning We're going to discover it as we look at our section of Scripture. So let me give you a little bit of background about the Scripture we're going to look at, study, and unpack. This Scripture happens the night before Jesus died. It's uh, sometimes called Monday. That's a Latin term for command. Command Thursday. And there's a whole lot of stuff that went on the Thursday before Jesus died. One of the things that happened is that Jesus' disciples rented a room in Jerusalem and they were gathered together to sort of have the last meal that they were going to have together before Jesus died, although the disciples didn't necessarily totally realize or recognize that. Now, one of the things I was thinking about this week is what a motley crew Jesus had around him as he experienced and ate this last meal. What do I mean? Well, in the room was Judas. Judas was, at the time, stealing from the treasury of the disciples and had just cut a deal with the Jewish leaders that he was going to betray the Son of God, betray Jesus for a little bit of money. And as Jesus sat there that night, he knew that about Judas. Also in the room was a man named Peter, one of Jesus' three best friends. Peter, James, and John were his three best friends. Peter would, a little bit later in the evening, deny 
that he even knew Jesus at all, in fact, using curse words and swear words to sort of make his, you know, lie a little bit uh, more believable. At least that's what he thought. And as Jesus sat there eating that meal, he knew that about Peter. And then the rest of them? (laughs) What happened when Jesus got arrested? They didn't stick around, did they? They all ran like someone afraid of a spider running from the basement of our house upstairs, okay? They ran. They were scared. They were cowards. So Jesus is experiencing this meal with some great guys, a denier, a betrayer, (laughs) and a bunch of cowards. We go to John chapter 13. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. The setup for this event that we're going to look at is so, so important. Because what John is doing here is he's contrasting who Jesus was with the group around him. He specifically says that he's a person who knew the Father because he was God, and the Father had put all things under his power. A denier, a betrayer, a bunch of cowards, and the Son of God. The one who spoke and the world became. The one who still to this day is keeping everything working, and without God, nothing would work. The all-powerful God of the universe. And as Jesus knows the type of guys that he's eating with, the question becomes, (laughs) what would he do? How would he react? It had to have been on his mind. John 13, verse 4. So he got up from the meal and he began to yell at them about what true commitment and true friendship looks like. Now, if that doesn't sound familiar, it's because that's not really what the text says. But instead, what I would think a holy son of God would do and how he would react to the people in the room who just in a few short hours would pretend like Jesus meant nothing to them. Um, Or how about this? He got up from the meal and used his authority to call down lightning from the sky and struck them all dead. Again, maybe something that a holy God you would think would do, but again, not what he did. Here's what happened. He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin And began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He knew who was in the room, and he got up and washed feet. Let's talk a little bit about foot washing for a moment, because I don't think we get it 2,000 years ago, or 2,000 years later. Um, Today, we get around mostly by driving cars, and we wear shoes on our feet. So very rarely do our feet get really dirty. Very rarely. They get smelly, 
especially if you're in high school and play sports, um, but they don't necessarily get really dirty very often. 2,000 years ago, very, very different. Everyone walked where they were going, and the roads weren't paved. They were dirt. They were used by people, and they were used by animals. And animals did on those roads what animals do, okay, in a parade or at the zoo or whatever, and you're walking through all of that, right? So you'd get to someone's house, and the custom was that there would be a big bowl of water near the door. You usually wouldn't wash your own feet. If you were wealthy enough, you'd have a servant or a slave there uh, to wash the feet, usually the lowliest of slaves because this was a yucky job. If you didn't have a servant, sometimes maybe you have an older child, an older kid, wash the feet of the guests, but that didn't happen in this upper room the night before Jesus died. No one took the time to wash feet. Now, we wouldn't expect the disciples to do that, If you read through all the Gospels, you see it wasn't so much before this event that they were arguing about who would be the most important and the greatest in the kingdom of God. So they were not in the mindset of washing feet, taking on the role of a servant. So Jesus did. And I've been trying to think through this week about how do you truly describe just the awe of that moment and how uncomfortable it must have felt for the the Son of God to do the work of the lowliest servant. Um, You know, is it like taking the person that you would most like to meet in your life, that you have the highest respect for, um, someone that you just totally admire, someone who has a great position in life or in government and they're at your house and and you force them to scrub your toilet or something. I don't know. I, there's no category like Son of God, is there? So we can't truly understand it, but it was this amazing event that just boggled people's minds in the room. In fact, so much so that Peter expresses his uncomfortability. John 13, verse 6. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. So yes, I am. And Peter said, no, you will never wash my feet. Peter and the disciples could not believe the activity of Jesus, the outside actions of Jesus in that moment. But you see, very much like all of us, It is so true about Jesus. His outward activity on that night was driven by a passion that was inside of his heart. And what was that passion? What's the feeling that he had on his heart? I skipped it. It was in verse 1 of this text. And I've preached on this section a lot over the years, at least a couple times. I've read this section more. And verse 1 never stuck in my heart like it did this time as we're thinking of the feelings and emotions of that last week of Jesus' life. Let's read it. Here's what John writes. He's, he's writing about what he saw years after it happened because he was in the room. And he prefaces this section this way. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world, that he would die and go to the Father. 
having loved his own who are in the world. John is saying, everything we've seen from him so far expresses the love that he had for the people of this world. And then he continues, he now loved them until the end. He loved them until all was done. He loved them through the last horrible week of his life. He loved them until the end. And that idea of God, of Jesus loving till the end, just was on my heart all week. I was thinking about it and, and, and considering it. And, and, you know, love till the end that's the hard part. I mean, think about anything in life. Love at the beginning always seems to be easier. Okay, so your family wants to come over and visit for a week, and they're staying at your house. You love it at the beginning. Do you love it till the end? <laughs> Very rarely, okay? How about a diet? You're motivated. It's the greatest thing since sliced bread, this new diet, whatever, where you don't eat anything at all and you lose weight and you go after it. Do you love it till the end? We get fatigued. We get tired. But the true example of love is when you love till the end. And that's how John described and prefaced this section of washing feet and truly prefacing the entire week. What he's saying is, I saw Jesus and he was loving people till the end. That was the emotion. That was the feeling. That was the, the passion of the heart that was driving the activity of his life. Love till the end. The, the word in the Greek that's used there is agape. It's this selfless love. It's, it's loving even though people have no deserving of it. It's uh, a love that never gives in and never gives up. You know what Jesus was doing when no one wanted to wash feet because they were too concerned, those disciples, about who was the greatest among them? He loved them till the end. And he washed their feet. From this room, they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Judas did betray Jesus. And the Jewish leaders came. And they came with chains to arrest him. I've often wondered, what would those chains look like to the Son of God? Like, I'm thinking those paper chains you make as you count down Christmas. You know, like, come on, guys. You got better than that, don't you? <laughs> the Son of God, right? You know what Jesus was doing when he allowed the mortal to tie up the immortal? He was loving till the end. And when he was sentenced to crucifixion, and when the nails were being driven through his hands and his feet, and when he was beaten and bruised and made fun of and stripped naked and allowed all of it to happen, what was driving his activity? Love till the end. Love until it was all done. A selfless agape love that you can't explain, but has made the biggest difference in our lives. 
And even today, 2,000 years later, I hope that, that you also appreciate, not just at the cross, but each and every day, Jesus' love till the end. You, you know what it means? It means you can never do anything that Christ has not paid for. It means you cannot outrun God. He's always going to be there. Yes, we can put a barrier between us and God. We can fall away from faith. We should daily want to follow him, but he will always be there in repentance with his forgiveness because he will love you still today till the end. That's the passion of his heart for the people he created. Number two, the passion that drives Jesus until the end was unexplainable, and that's what it was or is unexplainable, unexplainable love for you. Love that is absolutely ridiculous when you think about it, but is absolutely amazing for those that receive it, like you and me. We're going to skip ahead to verse 13. Here's what happened next. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher, a title of respect, and Lord, another title of respect, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, because I do have authority over you, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have done something humble, serving, like washing your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. In this event, we see, first of all, our greatest hope. We see Jesus being our Savior from sin and his great love for us. But also in this section, because Jesus spells it out here, we also see Jesus being our example. He says, you see how I've lived, disciples? You see what I just did? Followers, people in my family, I'm calling you to do the same. Here's, here's how I put it for today, that God has called the served to serve. To those who've been given much, to give much. To those who have been loved unconditionally, to love unconditionally. So I was studying for this sermon and was thinking about both the joy that I receive in Jesus' washing feet and the example for my life, I, I came across a quote from a, a Christian pastor and writer named uh, Francis Chan. Maybe some of you have read some of his books before, but I'll, I'll tell you, it, it challenged me. And I, I felt like it might challenge you too. So it's a little longer, but I, I want to read it. And I, I want you to just think about what Francis is saying. He writes, you really, really, really like Jesus. But if you're honest with yourself, you don't really want to become like him. You admire his humility. We all do. But do you really want to be that humble? I mean, we think it's beautiful that the Son of God would get down on his knees to wash the feet of disciples. We think that's beautiful. But is that really the goal of your life? And is your life headed in the direction of servanthood? You're thankful that Jesus was spit on and abused and that he took it, but you would never let that happen to you. You love the fact that he laid down his rights, but you're going to spend your life fighting for yours and defending yours. 
You praise him. You sing songs. And you love him because he loved you enough to suffer his whole time on earth for your sake. But you're going to make sure that you have fun while you're down here and that you're going to have a good time. In short, you think Jesus is a great savior, but you don't really think he's a great role model. Now, I recognize that Francis Chan is somewhat overstating some things here, but that's why I like it. Because it gets me to think about the little crevices and the, the, the sort of intricacies of my heart and what I'm passionate about. And is it okay to have fun in life? Absolutely. And is it okay to succeed in life? Absolutely. But I think what Francis is getting at, especially in light of what Jesus just said, go and serve like I've served you, is what is motivating? What is the greatest passion of your life? And it can be multiple things, but the thing that I'm asking is, What is the thing? And what Jesus says today is to go and serve others in response or motivated by the great love and service that I have shown you. And why this rocks me to the core is that it forces me to reevaluate everything. You see, most of us have to admit that Serving others doesn't come very easily. And children and grandchildren, like, let's take that out of it just for a moment, okay? Talking about the rest of people. (laughs) Many of us do it, but it doesn't come naturally. If we're to think about what comes naturally, what comes naturally is thinking about life in a way of me, right? That's what comes naturally. That's what comes battle against every single day at the, that the core of our being, our passion is to live for me. And it shows itself in how our actions and our planning tends to go. Um, better job, better house, better car, better, 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 better in this life. And again, none of that is wrong on its own. But what Jesus is asking us to evaluate and to wonder is, as he has served us so humbly, he has also called us to humbly serve others. God has called the served, next slide, to serve. I'm a little bit of a neat freak at times, um, although when I get busy, maybe it's not so neat all the time. But one of the things um, that I enjoy at our house is um, when things are neat and picked up and, um, you know, that really battles against the idea of having kids, right? Um, Because that just doesn't seem to happen. And my kids are old enough and they, you know, tend to do a really good job at this. But one of the things that can happen is that they get done with a meal And they get up, and I don't know where they go, but they just kind of leave all their stuff on the table. And at least at our house, maybe yours too, if you're done eating, like we didn't hire anyone to clean that up, um, you pick it up. You put it away. Um, Or when kids come home from school sometimes, you know, maybe this is true at your house, where they can, you know, drop off their coat on the couch, and there's their, their bag in the kitchen, their backpack, I should say, and shoes, I don't know where, you know, and all over the place. And I think sometimes kids think that somebody's going to pick it up. And what we're trying to teach our kids is that you are somebody. (laughs) 
that you, as a child, as a young person, are somebody, right? Now, the same thing is true in life. You go through life, and it could be as little as something uh, garbage on the side of the road, okay? Or something in a neighbor's life that just doesn't seem quite right. Someone in need. Um, someone who's going through a rough time. Something at church, like um, an Easter breakfast that could use some help. Um, you see things going on and you think to yourself, yeah, somebody should help. And what Jesus is saying is, guess what? You are somebody. That I am somebody. And the greatest calling on our life, and it's said in different ways throughout Scripture, but at the end of the day, in this text, it's, call, it's spoken this way, is that those who have been served and loved immensely until the end are called to serve and love others immensely until the end. And that passion should be in our hearts. And that, above all, in making a difference in this life, and in the lives of the people around us is what Jesus means by going to wash feet. And it doesn't mean you have to get rid of your other passions. It just means you might need to reorder them. Because what you're passionate about the most is what you see the most. And what you're passionate about the most is what you use your time for the most. It's not a matter of having time to help others. It's a matter of how passionate we are and what other things we're filling our lives with that might be about me, but do I, have I created space for washing feet? So here's our simple application today. When you see a need, just simply meet it. When you see a need at church, in your neighborhood, at your school, Remember, you're somebody. <laughs> and help. And meet it. And pray for that person. We are the beneficiaries, my friends, of the greatest love there ever was. A love until the end. Until Jesus suffered hell itself and rose again. And now, he says, motivated by that love. I washed your feet. How can you go and use your life to wash other people's feet?